There is more. The week after Easter, we are starting a brand new series today called There Is More. Whether you're watching from our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, I believe we also have a Roku channel up and running, and then our favorite platform outside of Facebook is actually EuniceChurch.com because of the, the work that was put in to make it interactive. We want you to, wherever you are watching from, whenever you are watching, we want you to comment, we want you to message, we want you to email. We want you to gif something funny just to get people's attention. We want you to hashtag whatever you want, whether that's a he's preaching at me, he's stepping on my toes, he's talking to you, and then name them right there in the comment box. Whatever it is that you need to do, we want you to engage as we make this as interactive as possible. Before I get going, I want to make sure that you know there is a connect card tab. There is also a prayer tab available on EuniceChurch.com for you to click on and you to let us know what is going on in your life, what God is doing, how we can connect with you, and how we can be praying for you. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be going through this series. We are actually going to examine a few of the people that Jesus revealed himself to over a 40-day period leading up to the 50th day after Passover, which is called Pentecost. It's where we get the word Pentecostal. Pentecostal is not a denomination. It is a word that originated in Scripture that is literally just defined as 5 to the 10th power or 50. It is 50 days after Passover. Jesus passed away. He was crucified on Passover. He spent three days in the grave. He spent 40 days, according to Corinthians, 40 days revealing himself to others and showing that he was resurrected. And then we know that on the 50th day, the Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit came down upon those who were in the upper room. And we believe that if Jesus could reveal himself for 40 days to people as he was resurrected, then right now he can reveal himself to us over the next 40 days. That if we seek him, even though they didn't, if we will seek him, that he will reveal himself in his resurrected form to us just like he did for them. Now, biblically, Jesus has been resurrected. If we celebrated Easter last week, he's been resurrected for approximately seven days. But this morning, I really felt led to take us back to the cross. Last week, we actually ended the message in the courtyard. And the choice between Jesus and Barabbas. And today I want to go back to the cross. Earlier this week, um, I decided to watch The Passion of the Christ. And if you haven't seen that recently, you guys have seen Passion of the Christ recently? Recently or just like in your life? Recently? If you haven't seen it recently, you need to go back and watch like soon. And then what you need to do is you need to take like a young person that's never seen it. 
and make them watch it with you. That's what I did. Um, I took my almost 10-year-old and we watched the Passion of the Christ together. Now, here's the thing. My wife was not quite as excited about our nine-year-old watching the Passion of the Christ um, as I was. Especially uh, when I went to click on it after I pretty much already sold it to her, to my nine-year-old. Um, I clicked on it and I, I realized to uh, my forgetfulness that, that the Passion of the Christ was actually the highest grossing rated R movie of all time. And, and I'd already told her we were going to watch it and, and obviously Megan was a little bit put off. And so I, I looked it up on Plugged In, which is where we go and check, like, all right, what are the words? What are the scenes? What's going to happen? And, and obviously, Passion of the Christ is for predominantly the gore. Um, and I, I did what I told you not to do last week. You remember when Pilate's wife told him? She, like... Um, insinuated she had this intuition that that Pilate should not be involved with this man from Galilee this Jesus from Galilee and and Pilate ignored his wife well I decided to not take my own advice and I essentially ignored um, my wife as well even after I just preached on it and Megan would even ask like one final time babe are you sure this is a good idea and and the husband the man in me was like Psh, well yeah yeah I'm like I've thought this out I mean I might even said I prayed it out which I didn't it's not true so I hope I didn't say that but I just kind of I just kind of brushed it off like for me I was like no it's time it's time for my baby to see what my Jesus did for her and to an extent, I, I was actually right, uh, to an extent. Problem, well, there's, there's a couple of problems. Problem A was this movie is, is well over two hours long, and, and I didn't start it until after 8.40 uh, that night. Um, it was about, eight, about 8.40. For a nine-year-old, 8.40 feels cool. Until it's like 30 minutes later, and then, and then all of a sudden it's not cool anymore. Um, the problem B is the subtitles were a little too fast for me to read. They were too out loud. They were too fast for me to read it. Like I had the ability to read the subtitles. They weren't too fast. They were too fast for me to read out loud. So, yeah, no, it's for real, though. They were kind of fast for me, too. Like, I kind of struggled. And so, and, and so just feel better about yourself. If, if you accepted the challenge of being able to read every word in the subtitles of The Passion of Christ, then you can feel successful in your life today. If you didn't, then, hey, congratulations. Neither can your preacher. Just feel better about where you are or are not in life. They're too fast. They're, they're too fast. Like, leave them up there a little bit longer. Was this speed reading? No. I'm trying to watch the movie and know what they're saying. I love the fact that it's in Aramaic. I just wish that they would leave the English up just a little bit longer. I know. Turn on your closed captions. Thank you. All right. Uh, problem C. I forgot. It, it's been a long time. I mean, it's 2020. This movie came out in 2004. I know. I hope you feel old too. Like that was a long time ago now. I, I forgot um, that, that Judas, not only did he like 
sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which I didn't forget that. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm biblically illiterate enough to forget that. But, but I did forget that in the movie um, that he began to become tormented by little children whose faces did not remain as little children. They actually became like little demonic-faced people who would torment Judas. And so I'm watching this with my nine-year-old close to 9.30 at night, and the faces of these little people are turning demonic, and Judas is screaming and running, and, and she... She started out in one chair, and before the movie was over with, she was over in my lap. She and I were in the same chair, and I was covering her eyes, and I was like, hey, that's what happens. Like, don't ever sell out Jesus. Like, I'm trying to use it as a teachable moment. Megan's right there in the room. She's shaking her head at me, and I'm like, that's right. He was tormented. Baby, listen to me. Judas was tormented because he sold Jesus out. He turned on Jesus. So as long as you never turn on Jesus, you don't ever have to worry about little demonic-faced kids tormenting you right before you go to bed because your daddy's an idiot and let you watch this movie. My question today is, that's what it took for Adeline to get out of that one chair and come over and sit in my lap. And, and I just wonder, what does God have to show me for me to come and, and sit with him? What does God have to reveal to me over the next 40 days? Whether the stay-at-home mandate is lifted or or whether it's not, because we used to have the excuse that we don't have time, we've got too many things to do, I get up too early, I get home too late. But what will God have to do? What will he have to reveal? What will he have to show me in order for me to come and, and sit with him? When we were watching Passion of the Christ, we noticed, actually Adeline noticed, but she came from me and I'm her daddy, so I'm taking credit. We noticed that Jesus handled carrying the cross much better than most people would expect in the scenes and in the scriptures. Jesus actually handled carrying the cross much better than most social media stories, most social media posts. Jesus actually handled carrying the cross a lot better than even the church is some simple COVID-19 restrictions. He carried the cross. It was part of why he came. It was part of what he expected to do because of the influence that he came in. On the cross, Jesus spoke seven times. Three of those times, he was speaking to or about others on behalf of others and then the last four times that he spoke were either about him, his situation, or were just a conversation between him and the Father that we got to hear. This week for your YouVersion Bible devotional, if, if you would like to join us as the church in attempting to reestablish or continue in a habit of reading God's Word at least four days a week, aiming for seven days a week, so that we give God our majority every single week. 
This week, our version devotional is called It Is Finished. And it actually goes over the seven things that Jesus said when he was on the cross. It is finished by Northbridge Church. Our staff will post that in the comments below. If you want that, all you have to do, if you can't find it, all you have to do is search on Uversion or Bible.com. You should be able to find that very easily. If you need any help with that, please email us. Today, we're just going to look specifically at three. Three things that Jesus said when he was on the cross. Remember, he only said seven things. And biblically, the crucifixion began at about nine in the morning and didn't end until approximately three o'clock that afternoon. So Jesus really only spoke about one thing per hour that he was on the cross. Scientifically, it would have been very difficult for Jesus to to speak or say anything. In fact, it was very difficult for him to breathe, period. Part of the punishment of the crucifixion was asphyxiation, that every time that you went to take a breath, you had to push up on the nails in your feet and pull up on the nails in your hands in order to open your diaphragm, take a breath, and then fall back down. And most people would die from asphyxiation. In fact, that's why we see that the Romans would come at the end and they would break the legs of the two criminals beside Jesus. And if he wouldn't have already given up his spirit, they would have broken his too. So that they couldn't continue to push up and catch their breath. So every time that Jesus spoke, it was specific. It was intentional. When he spoke those seven times on the cross... In approximately one time, just a little over one time per hour that he was up there, he had something specific to say. He agonized in order to verbalize what he wanted us to hear. So my heart for you today is that you would hear his voice. That we as a church would hear his voice. That we, as his children, would hear his voice. If you're taking notes, number one, I want you to hear the voice of forgiveness. The voice of forgiveness. In Luke chapter 23, verse 32, the Bible says, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull or Golgotha, there they crucified him, Jesus, and the criminals on his right and one on his left. Verse 34, and Jesus said, He pushed up on the nail in his feet and the nails on his hand to take a breath and exclaim, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they were so moved by what Jesus exclaimed in that moment. They were so moved by his words that he took the time to verbalize. That the Bible says, and they decided to cast lots to divide his garments. In other words, they threw dice to see who got his clothes. That's how impressed they were by what they heard. Adeline asked me 
as we were watching some of the scenes leading up to the crucifixion, the scourging and him carrying the cross and some of the things that were happening to him as he was being mocked and the crown of thorns was placed on his head and he was being spit upon for our sin, she actually, it kind of got me a little bit, if I'm going to be totally honest. Like I've had a couple of days now, so it's not going to, and the air's not turned on, so I shouldn't get watery eyes in here right now. But um, she actually asked me, why, why are they doing that? Why? He, he's not even doing anything. Like, he's not fighting back. Why do they keep hitting him? Why do they keep beating him? Why are they spitting on him? Why are they slapping him? Why are they doing that? He's not, he's not even doing anything. Notice there is no evidence whatsoever in Scripture that Jesus ever one time tried to get out of what he was in. There's no evidence whatsoever that Jesus was trying to get away or that Jesus was trying to get even in any way. The guards that beat him, the crown that was of thorns that was smashed down upon his skull. They cast lots for his tunic and for his clothes. Max Lucado in his version devotional on Calvary's Hill, he referenced 1 Peter chapter 2 which is actually a reference to the book of Isaiah. In verse 23, the Bible says, When they heaped abuse on him. I'm reading from the Berean Study Bible. When they heaped abuse on him, he did not retaliate. He could have. When they came against him, he could have come right back. When they spit on him, he could have slapped the spirit out of them. Could have done whatever he wanted to. And they heaped, and even my child, who has not read the crucifixion story in its entirety, one of the things that she noticed was what they continually did to our Savior. And yet, it's not impressive what they did to him, because they did that to a lot of people. What was impressive is how he didn't decide to respond, and then how he did. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats, but entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He believed God's word when it says, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness so that we could respond in the same manner. And by his stripes you are healed. Jesus left judgment to God. Max Lucado goes on. He writes it this way and and I expound just a little bit. But Jesus didn't seek revenge. He sought redemption. Jesus didn't demand an apology. He offered forgiveness. He would lighten it up a little bit. He didn't hire any bounty hunters he didn't send out a posse he didn't call his boys he didn't retaliate or or bite back or say anything back he didn't stare down from the cross and and holler you just wait sucker give me three days big dog give me just wait 70 you got 72 hours 
You, I'm, oh, oh, I'm going to wipe that smirk off of your face. You better enjoy those clothes for the next three days because I'm going to come out and snatch them off of you as soon as I come out. I mean, he could have done, the Bible said he could have called a legion of angels to escort him off of that cross. I mean, at no point did Jesus ever look down and hear somebody say something like, why don't you come up here and say that to my face? Invite him to crawl on up on the cross. He didn't say anything. No, no, no. What he did say was the exact opposite of what we would have expected him to say. When he finally spoke, he didn't offer a return to the offense. When he finally spoke, he actually spoke in their defense. He became the attorney for the accused even though he was the victim. Can you imagine going into the court of law? You're the victim. You're the one who had been trespassed against. You are the one to whom the crime was committed. And yet that day, not only are you the victim, but you're the defense attorney. You are the attorney for the assailant. You're the victim and the defender. It's unbelievable in that moment that Jesus defended his executioners. And the first thing he said in response to everything that he had been through was, Father, I know you see, but forgive them, for they know not what they do. You hear the voice of forgiveness. The voice that called out from heaven. And then they were so moved by that forgiveness that they did what I've done before. Receive the forgiveness. The burden is lifted. And then what did they do? They continued right on as if he had never even spoken. They just kept right on doing what they were doing before he ever offered the forgiveness. We've got to be careful that we don't hear the voice of forgiveness and become just like the Roman guards who decided to fight over the wrong things instead of be freed from the only one that did anything right. Number two, we heard the voice of assurance. The voice of assurance. Luke 23, 43 is where we see this phrase. But I want to paint the picture for you on the way up to this moment. What we have is those criminals on the right and on the left of Jesus. And Jesus is right there in the middle. And one of the criminals essentially blasphemes Jesus and mocks him right before he offers this day and this assurance. He says to him, Hey, are, are you not the Christ? One of the criminals, like this is what he decided to use his breath on. Like, he, he reached up, opened his lungs, and took a deep breath. And the decision to speak was based on his desire to mock Jesus and to attempt to manipulate Jesus to get him down. Hey, aren't you the Christ? Why don't you save us and yourself? The other one was offended. 
And so he fights to get a breath and he says back to the other criminal, essentially, what is wrong with you? Are you really mocking him right now? Do you not understand that we're under the same condemnation that he is? And, and you took your breath and chose, and that's what you chose to let come out of your mouth? Essentially, <laughs> very similar to what we do. Like, we premeditatedly type things and send them on purpose. Like, that's what you decided to put on there? We ain't heard from you in 48 hours. And you decided to post that <laughs> of, of all the things that you could have taken a deep breath, premeditated, and decided to say. That's what you chose? I want to be like the second thief on the cross that recognized that they were there because they deserved to be there. That they had fallen short of the glory that they surrounded. They had fallen short of the glory right in the middle of them. And because he recognized who Jesus was and who he wasn't, he did the exact opposite of the other criminal. When the other criminal criticized, this guy called out to Jesus. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And in verse 43, we see Jesus' response in the voice of assurance. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I love this part of the story of Jesus' crucifixion. Because it shows me that it doesn't matter where you were this morning. That if you will call out to Jesus, truly call out. And listen to me, friend. Don't you dare be one of those people that tries to live however they want to just in the assurance that you may have a thief on the cross moment because you are not guaranteed to have that thought or that moment. And you're playing roulette with your redemption. If you think that you're going to live however you want to and then come up to that moment and cry out right before you had to stand before him and give an account. That is not the heart behind this story. That is not what this guy did. This guy did just the opposite of that. This guy saw Jesus on the cross. He heard the story for the very first time and he realized that it was for his sin that Jesus was hanging in the middle. And when he recognized who Jesus was and who he wasn't, he called out to him, please remember me for the sake of your kingdom. It was as if he had a moment to evaluate. And it was as if, it, just like we have had some moments to evaluate our lifestyle, our life decisions, come on somebody, our spending habits. And we look and we go, you know what? I've been measuring what I've been doing to the wrong thing. And now I realize that it, it really wasn't measuring up where I wanted it to. And so I have an opportunity to make an adjustment. And it doesn't matter where I was this morning when I call out to Jesus. I can begin to walk in the paradise that he purchased and created for me from the very beginning. Jesus was right in the middle of the two sinners. 
right in the middle. I want you to notice he wasn't on the outside looking in, scoffing at those dirty, rotten sinners that deserve the cross. He also wasn't in the middle of them acting just like them. He wasn't either one of those. He was holiness, perfection, right in the middle of judgment, condemnation, and crucifixion. He put himself there on purpose. And his salvation was not subject to his circumstance. I'll never forget. I I really was probably only about eight or nine years old. Um, I had my little brother in a life jacket. Caleb, I didn't ask to tell this story, but it's okay because he was only two. So, and I'm the guilty one in this story. We were on a jet ski, and, and uh, I and another friend of mine was riding on the inner tube, and we were going around the lake, and I was driving. and I, might, I was probably older than eight or nine. I don't think my parents would let me drive Caleb around, but I know he wasn't very old at all. I'm like, he wasn't four, maybe five. So I was probably in my teens. because <laughs> made my parents seem like they little seven-year-old. <laughs> anyway, so that's not, I was probably older than what I thought I was. But I know Caleb was little, and he was sitting in front of me. We all had life jackets on, and then my friend, had, I had thrown him off the inner tube because that's the purpose of pulling somebody on the inner tube is to see how fast you can go and how hard you can sling them off. If you don't achieve that, then you've missed the purpose of pulling people on the inner tube. And I won. I got him off, and that's what we were doing. And I threw him off, and, and he really hadn't been riding as long as I had or something had happened. And anyways, we were arguing about who was going to get to go next, who was going to ride, and who was going to drive. The problem was is that we were arguing in the water. And I left Caleb, the four, maybe five-year-old, up on the jet ski. I don't think he was five. I think he was three or four. And I'm 12 years older than him, so I would have definitely been a teenager. We left him on the jet ski. And all of a sudden, that jet ski started moving. And Caleb had reached up on that jet ski. He couldn't even see over the the front of the jet ski. He had reached up and squeezed the trigger. (laughs) And that jet ski took off. And the rope was all curled up. And my friend and I were sitting right there. And my friend was on the inner tube. And I said, hold up. And that jet ski, when he took off and that rope came to fruition, it jerked my friend. It pulled him, and they took off across the lake, which it was Lake Claiborne up in North Louisiana near Homer. So it was a pretty open lake, but it didn't stay that way. And my little brother on that jet ski, I'm talking as fast as that thing would go. Can't see nothing hauling across that lake right for the trees. My friend is on the back hollering, Caleb, stop, stop. Look, his salvation, y'all, was circumstantial. It was subject. My little brother's salvation was circumstantial. It was subject. I was in the water screaming, stop, Caleb, stop. But y'all, I'm like, I'm in tears because all I can see is this little dude going right for some trees. I know he can't see. I'm terrified. Because the salvation of that moment was out of my hands. Because I wasn't in the position that I was supposed to be. I need you to understand that Jesus, there was never not one moment in the story of the crucifixion, where he wasn't exactly where he was supposed to be. In fact, he wasn't exactly where he had even planned to be. 
And that salvation that he purchased for us, he purchased it on purpose. He put himself there. The reason that our salvation is not subject to circumstance is because our Savior was not subject to circumstance. He put himself there and he wouldn't have removed himself from that place if there would have been even more opportunity and he could have very easily called upon all of heaven to come and take him down. He chose to be on that cross. He chose. He knew there's more. There's more. There's more than what my eye can see. There's more than what this crowd can sense. There's more than what my soul can feel. There is more to this thing than my followers falling out, my friends falling away, my finances falling apart, my disciples dispersing. There's more. There's more. There's more. That Jesus knew that there was more in that moment than just what he saw. I want to preach one of the other four things that Jesus said. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was that moment where for the first time in his existence, and he is eternal, he had no beginning and he has no end. He is, I am. It was that moment in Christ's existence when the Father turned His face away from the Son because the Son absorbed every sin of all men for all time. And God did not look upon His sin. I actually, I personally believe that that was the cup that Jesus would pray, was praying would pass from Him. In the garden of Gethsemane. It, it wasn't the beating. It wasn't the scourging. It wasn't the mocking. It wasn't having to carry the cross after all that stuff. It wasn't the nails. It wasn't the spikes. It wasn't the spear. It was the moment. Where all sin. For all time. Everything I've done. Everything I didn't do, everything I thought, for all of creation poured out. The wrath of God poured out upon the Son of God in that one moment. And Jesus pushed up just to pronounce, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't so that he could hear. It was so that they could hear. It was so that we could hear. See, everybody wants to be called, but nobody wants to drink the cup. Everybody wants to have influence, but nobody wants to exceed expectations. Everybody wants to win, but nobody wants to work. And Jesus understood that he had to embrace it all. I want to do ministry, but I don't really want to serve. I want to be married, and I want the fairy tale, but I don't want to die to myself so that they can live. I want to have a child, give them my name, but when they get to middle school, I want to slap my name right off of them. Come on. 
See, everybody wants to be called, but nobody wants to drink that cup. And Jesus actually said, listen, if you want to be mine, if you want to walk in the forgiveness and the assurance that I offer, then there will be times when you'll have to drink the cup with me. But fear not. I already drank it. Fear not, I've already embraced it. And here he is, about to reveal himself to all of creation, just as we are praying for the next 40 days for him to reveal himself to us. This is the final point. I said I wasn't going to preach it. I ended up kind of preaching it anyways. I just got stuck. Number three. I want you to hear this voice today. I actually sat in my office for about 10 minutes and labored over this one a little bit. I went back and forth. I understood the voice of forgiveness. I, I understood the voice of assurance. But what was this last voice supposed to do for us? Reveal? Was it revelation? Was it what? The last voice, I believe, is the voice of declaration. Luke records in verse 46 of chapter 23, English Standard Version, Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Mark would say it this way. He would say, and with a loud cry, this isn't in your notes, but trust me, it's in Mark chapter 15. With a loud cry, he would breathe his last breath. Matthew actually echoes and parallels Luke and Mark. But John's different. See, John was unlike any other disciple. John is biblically the only one that we know. Now, there, it's possible, not probable, it's possible he wasn't the only one. But outside of the women, and we, we believe there to be about four to six women, it's hard to tell how many women were at the cross because a lot of them were named Mary. It's a true story. We don't know which one. Like we know Mary the mother. We know Mary Magdalene. We know another lady. And, and there, there was probably like at least one or three more Marys. And they were there. Like we know the women were there. And we know John was there. See, John's intimacy with Jesus. I heard Robert Madu say it this way. John's intimacy with Jesus gives us insight about Jesus. If you want insight into who Jesus is, then you've got to have intimacy, investment with him. That's why we're doing these devotionals. That's why we're actually intentionally targeting the next 40 days to seek the scriptures to spend time with God to prepare for Pentecost 
John was there. He was there at the foot of the cross. Jesus spoke to him. It was one of the seven things that he said. He was there. He remembers something in that moment that nobody else remembered. He remembers some specific words of Jesus that only he records. It was more than just a committal of his own body, as Matthew or Luke recorded. It was more than, more than just a cry, a loud cry, a shriek, like Mark and Matthew recorded. No, no, no. John recorded a declaration from Jesus. In John chapter 19, verse 30, we see Jesus declare, it is finished. And you've heard a lot of sermons about this phrase. A lot of messages over the years have been preached on these three words. And I'm probably not going to tell you anything that you haven't already heard or somebody else hasn't already said. But I can't help but hold on to these three words as some people's lives are being stripped away from them because of the restrictions that are in place right now in this moment. That this week after Easter is unlike any other Easter that the church has ever attempted to celebrate before in its history. Because we didn't get to see the potential of our church on this Resurrection Sunday. We didn't get to spend Monday and Tuesday following up with four or five or seven hundred people that happened to come that week that hadn't come over the last several weeks. We didn't get to celebrate the resurrection the way that we desired to. We haven't gotten to get out the way that we wanted to. When we did get out, it's been an oppression. It's been in suppression. It has been in a certain way at a certain time in a certain place and we're sick of the restrictions. But can I tell you that when he was the most restricted, it was the moment that he shared the greatest redemption. He declared, it is finished. I know it looks like I'm stuck. I know it looks like I'm stained. I know it looks like I'm scarred. But I came here on purpose and my purpose is you. I declare that even though it doesn't look like it is, I say it is finished I did what I came to do can I say that as God's child can I say that in my life right now that if the clouds were to part and the trump of the Lord were to sound that I am right now currently in a place where I could stand before my Savior and say I was giving you my best I heard what you said on the cross, and I receive. I close with this, Matthew chapter 27, verse 51. When Jesus declared, it is finished, this is what happened. Matthew describes it in detail. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two significantly from top to bottom just so that people would understand that it wasn't a man that tore the curtain 
between the holy place and the holy of holies. That it wasn't the curtain or the hand of man that tore the curtain and released God's Shekinah glory upon the earth. It was the hand of Almighty God because of the voice of His Son's declaration that tore the curtain from top to bottom. And in that moment revealed what the author of Hebrews in chapter 9 so eloquently verbalizes. That the mercy of God was overshadowed by the glory of God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 5 that the, the cherubim of glory overshadowed The mercy seat. My question over these next 40 days. Why are we so satisfied with God's mercy when there is so much more to his glory? His glory overshadows His mercy. His mercy is the means by which we can arrive into His glory. We can't be, we shouldn't be satisfied with just the forgiveness of sin. We can't be, we shouldn't be satisfied with just the assurance of eternity. We should have a longing, a burning in our spirit. For the declaration of the Shekinah glory being released upon the earth and available to all who would call and ask. His glory even over His mercy. Not being satisfied with just walking in His mercy. But longing, seeking, yearning to walk in His glory. The temple. From top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened. And bodies of saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Verse 53. Coming out of the tombs after his resurrection. They went into the holy city and appeared to many. Verse 54, when the centurion, by the way, the first person after the cross, who received the revelation of Jesus Christ, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake... And all of that stuff that I just read that took place. The Bible says they were filled with awe. Don't you ever hear the crucifixion story and lose your awe and wonder of what Jesus did for us. They were filled with awe. Luke actually says in chapter 23 that the centurion praised God. Saying, Matthew writes, Truly, this was the Son of God. 
the centurion soldier, over a hundred other soldiers, recognized in that moment, this was the Son of God. See, if he wouldn't have said it, somebody else was about to say it. But he gets credit because he was the one that confessed it. If he wouldn't have said it and nobody else would have said it, the rocks had already split open and they were ready to start crying out. But the centurion said it. He confessed, truly, this was the Son of God. The first word spoken. The first word spoken on record after the last words of Jesus came from the person that was least expected. I don't know who you're praying for, but I'm telling you, Jesus declared the same thing over them that he declared over you. I don't know where you were this morning or last night or last week or last month or last year, but I'm telling you, the same thing that Jesus declared on that cross in Calvary 2,000 years ago, he is declaring right now through this screen into your spirit. Father, forgive them. Walk with me in paradise. It is finished. The first words after the last words from Jesus were from the person that was the least expected. Because he wasn't even resurrected before he was recognized. Like the resurrection was just a continuation of the proof. And we're going to go over that in the next few weeks. He wasn't even resurrected yet and he was recognized. Why? Because you can't look at the cross and not recognize the power of God. You can't see the Lamb of God on the curse of the stake and not recognize the power of God to heal, to save, to deliver, to forgive to assure, to declare. There is more. There's more than where you are. There's more than where you've been. There's more than what you've got. There's more than what you've been doing. No matter how far along in your spiritual journey you are or how far along in your spiritual journey you aren't, as long as you have breath in your lungs and a beat to your heart, I'm telling you today that there is more. As we said last week, recognizing Him as the Christ and receiving His salvation are not necessarily the same thing. Is this COVID-19 restriction stuff almost over? I don't know. But I can promise you this. There's more. Well, Chris, I got laid off. I don't know how I'm going to. I don't either. But I'm telling you that the provider still provides and there's more. Chris, you don't understand my stocks, my retirement. My nest egg is a rotten egg. Come on. I'm sick, I'm hurting, I'm stuck. 
I'm stifled. I'm sick of this. I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm bored. I know. Listen to me. 40 days. There is more. There is more. If the centurion soldier who was responsible for the death of Jesus, likely the one who stuck the spear in his side, likely the one who reported back to Pilate that he was dead. Now there's all kinds of stuff that church tradition says about this guy. We don't really know a lot about him biblically and historically, but we know this, that he recognized the Christ and even he realized there's more. There's more. I want to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. Jesus, we love you. Come on, pray your way into a moment with him. Jesus, thank you. That when you could have received retribution and you could have gotten revenge, that you were more interested in redemption than revenge. Jesus, thank you for carrying that cross as far as your physical body would let you. Thank you, Lord, for making the physical and spiritual effort to lift yourself up, to take a breath, to speak these words. Lord, help us to recognize who you are and what you did for us. God, I pray for every follower of Jesus that over the next 40 days, we wouldn't sit with you for what we can get from you. We would just sit with you to be, to be your child, to be your sons and your daughters. God, that we would just sit with you because we love you or because we recognize what you did for us. Maybe we don't even recognize where we are, but we know where we would be if it weren't for you. Lord, right now I pray for every person that doesn't know where they stand with you. God, whether they're listening live or later, Lord, wherever and whenever they're listening from, I pray that they would sense the conviction and the calling of the Holy Spirit upon their heart right now. And this one simple act of surrender would be what they choose. If you need to surrender your life to Jesus for the first time or the first time in a long time, I want to invite you right where you are as an act of obedience to just open your hands up to the Lord and pray this prayer with me. Jesus, forgive me where I've fallen short for the things I've done and the things I've left undone. 
I believe you got right in the middle of my sin and you paid for it. Lord, remember me in your kingdom. I believe you gave your life so that I could live. You're the son of God. You were resurrected from the dead. Lord, take my life and make it yours. May I follow you with all of my heart as long as I live on this earth. And one day, walk with you in paradise. Church, pray this prayer. Lord, help us not to be satisfied with your mercy alone when there is so much more. May we not just wait in your mercy when we could walk in your glory. Help us to know you and make you known. In Jesus' name, amen.